Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, we are continuing through our study of the book of Matthew and specifically the Sermon on the Mount. Brother Rob uh, is out sick this week, so please pray for Brother Rob. We so appreciate him and his ministry to us through the preaching of the Word every week. But we are continuing right along in Matthew chapter 6. And we will be reading a few verses in the beginning of the chapter and then a few verses at the end of the chapter here in just a minute. But I wanted to say a little bit about uh, today's message. Today's message is on giving. Ten years ago, the Lord uh, gave me the assignment of preaching. And uh, that preaching uh, led to a further assignment to plant a church and it wasn't long after that that he revealed to us that uh, this new church would be in the Blackman area. And six years ago, six years ago to this very month, the Lord graciously answered our prayers for a home, for a home base, for the building that you're actually sitting in right now on this six-acre property that we have enjoyed now since 2016. Just a little snapshot of where we were six years ago today. Exactly six years ago today, on July 10th, 2016, we had 55 in attendance. I did a quick count just a few minutes ago, and we have 95 today. At that time, we weren't here. We didn't own this property on July 10th of 2016. At that time, we were meeting at the Concord Baptist Association. The Concord Baptist Association is the local cooperative of Southern Baptists. It's their headquarters. And they graciously allowed us to meet there, have our services there, have our Sunday school there. And uh, we did meet there for exactly 52 Sundays. And out of the kindness of uh, their heart, we met there rent-free for exactly one year, 52 Sundays. I did a little bit of calcul calculation. I estimate that the rent-free aspect of that gift from our fellow Southern Baptists uh, was worth about $18,000, saved us about $1,500 a month in, in rent, uh, which I think was, I think that's what we were paying the YMCA before we, so we met at the YMCA for over a year and then we met at Concord for a year. And I estimate that that uh, rent-free aspect of their gift to us was worth about $18,000. And that money would uh, eventually be used as a down payment to help us get into the property that we're in here now. But six years ago today, the purchase of this property was still in doubt. It had not been fi finalized. We were all on pins and needles. Some of us were like uh, cats on a hot tin roof. Uh, would the property be valued enough for us to get the loan? Would we as a church pledge and then give enough to go forward with the purchase? Would our lender, who by the way were also a generous Southern Baptist, uh, would they approve our loan and would they work with us in such a way so that this would happen? You see, the first four years of our existence had been very nomadic. We wandered from place to place. We started at our home church and our sponsoring church, Northside Baptist, 
and we met there for a while. We met at the Blackman Community Club. We met at the YMCA. We met at the Concord Baptist Association. We also met at other places along the way, but those were the four major places that we met during those first four years. And at all of these locations, we had Sunday school. Right from the beginning, we had Sunday school. We had Sunday school, we had worship, and we also prayed, we fellowshiped, and every Sunday we had to set up, we had to tear down. We lived out of totes and lockers and storage barns, and at all these locations during all this time, we were looking for a more permanent home in the Blackman community area where the Lord had called us to work. We studied and toured many locations. We talked to landowners, realtors, churches, government entities. And after four years of wandering from place to place, we were, quite frankly, we were tired. We were exhausted. The weekly grind of ministry, the setup, the teardown, it was taking a toll on all of us. But it wasn't just the fatigue of doing that, of all the setup and the teardown. We longed for a home. And we believed that the Lord wanted us in the area that he had called us to, the Blackman community. We believed that the Lord wanted us to have a place where we could send a clear signal to this community that we are here, we are here to serve, we are here to give you the good news of the gospel. And so six years ago, the Lord saw fit to bless us with this incredible piece of property in the heart of Blackman, six acres at a very affordable price. And remember now, we were a new church of approximately 50 people. We had no underwriters um, outside of a few gifts from the Tennessee Baptist Convention and the Concord Baptist Association. Uh, all the monies that flowed into our budget were from members and guests. Six acres at an affordable price for a brand new church of 50. Another thing about this location, it was move-in ready. We went from being homeless on Friday, July the 29th of 2016, to having a beautiful home on Sunday, July 31st. A workable fellowship hall, a place to worship. The auditorium that you're sitting in right now was part of that. Of course, it looked a little bit different back then. Praise the Lord for his kindness and generosity to us, his servants. And so our loan closed on Friday, July 29th. Two days later on Sunday, July 31st, we met for the last time at the Concord Baptist Association on Sunday morning. And that evening, just two days after the loan closed, we met here for the first time. Will you join me in prayer and thanking the Lord for what he has done for us, both materially and spiritually, through the gift of this property to us. Father, thank you so much for answering our prayers for a home base from which to reach the Blackman community, Rutherford County, Tennessee, our country, the world. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, we thank you, and we're careful to give you all the praise and the glory, Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So over the years, many sermons have been preached from this pulpit. Uh, by my estimate, over 500 sermons have been preached. Uh, and to my remembrance, I cannot remember 
even one message on the topic of giving. I know I haven't preached a sermon on giving. Now, I could tell you that I, I haven't preached on giving because we, as a body, have never really needed a message on giving. And to a certain extent, that's true. I cannot remember a time in our 10-year history where we looked at what the, was in the, in the bank account and we looked at the upcoming bills and there wasn't enough money to pay the, the bills. That's never happened. So to a certain extent, it's true that you as God's people haven't needed a message on giving because you have faithfully given week after week, month after month, year after year, and all of our ministry needs have, have been met on time. So we praise the Lord for that. But the question I've pondered many times is why, why not preach on giving? And I can give you many reasons why I haven't preached on giving, but none of the reasons are very good. So I'm going to give you some bad reasons. One reason I haven't preached on giving is that uh, I don't feel like I'm a very good giver. Personally, um, and that's not false humility, that's just the truth. I, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here because it would be embarrassing to do that. But I know that I've been given so much and that I have given so little in return. I'm... I'm not a very good giver, so I hesitate to speak in a position of authority to you in something that I'm not very good at. Maybe that's one very poor reason I haven't preached on giving. Another poor reason I haven't preached on giving is I don't want you all to feel like you're not good givers. The reality is I don't know if you're good givers or not. From the beginning of this church, I purposed in my heart to not know who gives and how much they give. I believe the Lord called me to be a shepherding pastor to you. And knowing how much you give, how often you give, well, if I, if I knew your giving history, your giving patterns, or your lack of giving, and, your, and their lack of being a consistent pattern in your giving, that would certainly impair my ability to be a good shepherding pastor to you um, in a loving way a more godly man would be able to do that, to know exactly how much you gave and then use that. But I'm not in that category. So I really don't know how much you give or even if you give at all. I know this. Generally, somebody's given, and somebody's given generously because our needs have always been met. The Lord has met every need that we've ever had, and he's done that through your giving. A third reason why I haven't preached on giving I don't want to tell you anything that is not 100% biblically correct. There's a lot of garbage that is preached from the pulpits of America on giving and the relationship of the Christian to his money and his treasure. And I don't want to fall into that. It, it's shameful. So I promise you this, everything I'm going to say today on giving is straight from the Word of God. You're not hearing it from me. You're hearing it through me, but it's, it's the Word of God, 100% biblically correct. A fourth reason I haven't preached on giving, well, I know that money's a pretty sensitive subject. Some of you might get upset with me about preaching about giving. Now, I don't think of myself as a people pleaser, but maybe I do have a bit of that problem, and trust me, people-pleasing is a problem. 
Like I said, I can give you many reasons why I haven't preached on giving. None of them are any good. Because giving is an important part of our lives. It's an important part of the walk that we are to have with Jesus Christ. And the scriptures have a lot to say about giving. And since we as a church are fully committed to preaching the entire counsel of the word of God, I confess here now to you that I should have addressed this subject of giving much sooner. We're 10 years into this church plant now, so it's past time for me to be obedient and preach the full counsel of the word of God. We're still early on in our study of Matthew, and here in Matthew 6, we see that Jesus had quite a bit to say about giving, and we need to hear it. There's no better place for us to start in our thoughts about giving than with what Jesus said to us in his Sermon on the Mount. Let's look now at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And out of respect for the word of God, I'm going to ask you to stand while I read. I'm going to read the first four verses from the beginning of Matthew 6. And then we're going to skip down to the last part of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said, be careful. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Then down to verse 19. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We'll skip verses 22 and 23. We'll leave that for, for Brother Rob. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Notice what Jesus says first here. Notice the first two words. Various translations have given us a rich inventory of what Jesus is saying here, but the first two words that uh, Jesus is saying, uh, our CSB translation has, has it translated as, be careful. The New King James translates these first two words as, take heed. I particularly love the New Living Translation in this particular situation. The New Living Translation translates the first two words here as watch out. Jesus is telling his disciples, he's telling us to watch out. When he sat on that hillside and preached this sermon, I wonder, when he said watch out, did he raise his voice? Or did he, did he just increase the intensity of his voice? Watch out! Maybe he actually lowered his voice and whispered because that's a good way of getting people's attentions too. And maybe he said it fiercely. Maybe he said, watch out. Maybe he pointed at them and said, watch out. 
no matter how he said it, one thing's for sure, Jesus wants you to sit up, wake up, watch out. No, don't take a nap. Don't do that. Although some of you may be doing that. When I uh, studied Spanish, I learned the words, uh, I learned the word cuidado. Anybody know that word? Anybody here speak Spang Spanglish a little bit? Cuidado, what, what does that mean? It means watch out, be careful, take heed. And uh, when you're going on a mission trip, the, uh, the people who are getting you ready for the mission trip want to make sure that if you ever hear anybody say cuidado, something's coming, duck, which I obviously didn't duck, so I needed to watch out. But, uh, and I must say, I've never preached with a black eye before. So, so this is a first sermon on giving, first sermon with a black eye. And when I went to Romania... When I tried to learn a bit of Romanian, I learned the term Avets Grigia. What does Avets Grigia mean? Avets Grigia means cuidado. Take heed, be careful, watch out. Jesus is telling us something here, cuidado. Avets Grigia, be careful, take heed, watch out. So please listen carefully to what Jesus, the advice that he's giving us. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. I have five principles that Jesus is giving us here. The first principle about giving is give. Notice that Jesus says, whenever you give. He did not say, if you give. He said, when you give. It's a given that we are supposed to give. Jesus also said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Jesus did not say, if you give. He said, whenever you give. The psalmist says this. It's one of my favorite passages. Psalm 37, verses 23 and following. A person's steps are established by the Lord and he takes pleasure in his way. Though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed because the Lord supports him with his right hand. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. He is always generous, always lending, and his children are a, they're a blessing. First principle that Jesus has for us in, regard, in regards to giving is give. And so I must ask you, are you giving? Second principle, give to the poor. Notice that Jesus says whenever you give to the poor. Once again, it's assumed. It's assumed that we will give to the poor. It's a given. Jesus did not say if you decide to give to the poor. He said when you give to the poor. Psalm 41, 1 says, Happy is one who is considerate of the poor. The Lord will save him in a day of adversity. So are you giving? Are you giving to the poor? Here's the third principle about our giving. When we do give, we should give privately or secretly. The third principle is all about the why, the motive of why we're giving. Why are you giving? Are you giving to get? In other words, is your giving transactional? 
Are you worried that if you don't give, the Lord won't bless you financially? I can tell you true stories of believers who gave lots of money to the church because they had this false concept of God as sort of a great slot machine. That if they kept giving regularly, they were going to hit it big. Week after week they gave, believing that God would give them far more than they were giving. They believed that it was a guaranteed jackpot at the end of the rainbow, although they hoped the rainbow came a whole lot sooner, if you know what I mean. They didn't want to wait. They wanted it soon. So what is your motive in giving? Yes, we should give, but why you give is vitally important. Some believers give in such a way that people will notice their generosity. Jesus specifically addresses these folks who were giving with the wrong motive. And he says, don't do that. Don't be like the hypocrites. And he also says this, truly I tell you, they have their reward. So when you give, does your right hand know what your left hand is giving? How can this be? I remember as a child sitting in church, and it was offering time. I was sitting with a friend, and his dad was sitting with us, and uh, they were to my left. And the offering plate was coming down the aisle, and I was watching it come to me. And it got to my friend's dad, and with his left hand, he put a $5 bill into the plate. And with his right hand, he took $2 out and changed. And then he passed it on to my friend, who passed it on to me. That is not what Jesus is talking about here, with left hand and right hand. <laughs> that, that's not it at all. We're in a completely different lesson here now. But what is Jesus talking about? And I can just imagine some of the conversations I hope that the children will have this afternoon, maybe over lunch, maybe a little bit later. Dad, how can my right hand not know what my left hand is doing? Well, Jesus is exaggerating here to make a point. And his point is this. If your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is giving, it's a pretty sure thing that nobody else knows either. You shouldn't be making a big fanfare out of it. When the offering plate comes by, it shouldn't be. His point is, when you give, give privately. There should be no show, no fireworks, no public announcements, no plaques on the benches, ouch, no buildings named for whomever. Well, unless you want your reward here. Now, if you want your reward here, I guess that's okay. But if you want your reward in heaven, Jesus says don't do that. If you give secretly, in private. There's a promise that comes with this, and the promise is this, that your Father in heaven, who, by the way, your left hand may not know what your right hand is doing, but the Lord knows. Your Father in heaven knows. He sees it. And the promise is this, your Father in heaven sees you, and he will reward you. And let me just say this about the Father's reward. The Father's reward is not necessarily money. Some people give with the thought that if I give money to the Lord, he's going to give me back more than I gave. They treat it as a transactional promise or a contract. They see that. They believe that. But the Father's reward is not necessarily money. And I would just say this. Thank the Lord. 
Because there are a lot of things a whole lot better than money. Yes. It's not necessarily money. And I will also say this, that whatever the Father's... It could be money. He may choose to bless you with money. But whatever it is, the timing is not up to you either. The Father's reward may be given to you in heaven. And that's perfectly fine too. It is up to Him. So five principles about giving from the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Give. Give to the poor. Give privately. And the fourth principle of giving is store up treasures. Hmm. Verse 19 says, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. When you store up your treasures, oh, by the way, did you notice that? It's not if you store up your treasures, it's when you store up your treasures. Once again, Jesus knows that we are treasure storing up kind of people. When you store up your treasures, make sure that you're storing your treasures in the right place. Miss Rhonda and I have a, a, a bank, and we actually have a lockbox. Anybody have a lockbox? You do? Well, if you've ever done the lockbox little dance routine, um, what you do is you, you, you got to make sure you got your key with you, and it's a special key, and you got to go when the bank's open, and you get there, and you wait until they can wait on you, and then someone from the bank will say, oh, you want to get in your lockbox, and they'll bring their key, and together you go and you put your keys into the little lockbox, and you pop it open, and there's your lockbox. It's in a cold, sterile room, small, cramped, um, and just make sure you tell Weston that there's no money in our lockbox. Okay. Uh, there are things much more precious in our lockbox. There are mementos from our wedding. There are mementos from the children's weddings. There are important documents that uh, we really don't want to see consumed in a fire uh, if, if we were um, the victim of a fire, uh, like wills and um, liens that have been paid off, hopefully, and, and things. So we've got all these important documents in the lockbox. And some people do put money in lockbox. They, maybe they put gems. Maybe they put diamonds. So my question to you is, where are you storing up your treasure? Psalm 37, 16 says, The little that the righteous person has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. This important principle of storing up your treasures, Jesus knows you're going to store up your treasures. His question is, where are you storing up your treasures? Are you storing up your treasures here on earth, or are you storing them up in heaven? And you know why he's concerned about that? Because he knows this, that wherever you're storing up your treasures, that's where your heart's going. That's where your heart's going to camp out. Your heart will be wherever you're storing up your treasures, whether it's in some cold lockbox that you've got to go through all these hoops to get to, or is it in heaven? So give. Give to the poor. Give privately. Store up treasures. Fifth principle, choose the right master. Jesus says no one can serve two masters since either will hate the one 
and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's another assumption. Jesus knows that you will choose a master. Your heart can only serve one master. Will your heart serve cold, hard cash or the warm and loving Savior? It's one or the other. I will say that many people choose to serve money, but they're really not choosing money as their master. They've really chosen themselves as the master. And they just want the money to serve themselves. In closing, I have four questions for you. They relate directly to the first four principles that Jesus gave us in the message today. Are you giving? Are you giving to the poor? Are you giving privately? Does your right hand know what your left hand is doing? Are your motives right? Fourthly, are you storing up treasures in the right location? The answers to these four questions should give you a good insight into your own heart as to who is your master. If you're not giving, if you're not giving to the poor, if your motives are not right in your giving, if your treasures are more here on earth than they are in heaven, maybe it's because you've chosen the wrong master. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the words of Jesus here. When we think of Jesus, we, we are reminded of what James said, that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And Jesus, you are the perfect gift. You came here to take care of our sin problem. And so we trust you, Lord. We thank you for the gift of yourself. And I pray, Lord, that we would be found faithful and that we would be known as a giving people because our Savior is a giver. And we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.